Hey everyone, it's Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival, and recently I was at the Self-Reliance Expo up in Dallas, Texas, and I got a chance to meet Charlie Hogwood of ReadyGoPrep.com, who had a booth there where he had some great knives and some sheets that he had, had made and uh, his own special design. But what really struck my eye was a book that he had just written on how to develop your survival team. And this is a, a topic that I've really gotten into lately and I'm, I was very interested in. So I got a chance to, uh, to talk with Charlie and got him on the show to discuss those people that you should have on your survival team, what you should look for, and how to get them. So I think you're going to get a lot out of this podcast. Go ahead and check it out now. If bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, would you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Who will be there when the lights go out? And this is a question that more and more survivalists are waking up to as they face the fact that a lone wolf strategy in a world gone mad is a dangerous game plan. And if collapse really rears its ugly head, if you've really got to prepare and secure the safety of yourself and your family, you're going to need other people on your side. These are your survival team, your mutual assistance group, the people who get it just like you do and who are willing to work together because going it alone in the dark simply isn't an option. But who are these people and where can you find them? Well, that's what we're about to find out right now. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine, with another survival podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and patriot. And joining us today to discuss planning your own MAG, or mutual assistance group, is survival expert Charlie Hogwood. Charlie, welcome to the program. Hey, Jeff. Thanks. Glad to be here. Now, I've been waiting to get you on here ever since the, uh, we met at the Self-Reliance uh, Self Expo, and I, I know you've got some great information for everybody. Listen, everyone, uh, Charlie is the chief instructor on emergency preparedness and disaster readiness for PrEP, Personal Readiness Education Programs. He's also the author of the Survival Group Handbook, How to Plan, Organize, and Lead People for Short and Long-Term Survival. Now, Charlie has served for over 15 years in both the U.S. Army and Florida National Guard, and his National Guard unit was among the first deployed in the aftermath of Hurricane Andrew. And Charlie's worked all angles of the survival scenario, including monitoring of radiation dispersal over the food systems of Eastern and Western Europe after the Chernobyl incident, as well as providing security for foreign dignitaries and government officials. Now, he's, registered, he's a registered disaster inspector, and he's certified in emergency management and holds over 35 FEMA certifications with over 100 hours of training and instruction in disaster readiness and related fields. Now, for more information on Charlie and his training, visit him online at www.readygoprep.com. Okay, let's, let's get right into it. Charlie, it seems that when it comes to assembling a survival network, it's important to find the right balance of even just the number of people that you include and the skill sets that are going to support one another. 
you know, if you, if you have too few people, you can come up shorthanded when you need a specific skill in order to survive. But if you have too many people in your network, it seems to me that it would, you'd have like a higher chance of conflict and be a lot harder to manage the community as a whole. So in your opinion, for someone who is just starting out and wants to safely build their network at a foundational level, what's the right number range of people to shoot for in your network and what skill sets as far as a listing would you try to target in prospective members? Well, Jeff, we found that the best number of people to start out with actually is whatever you have, whatever you can get together at first. But five to seven people is a good span of control number. And what that means, that's just the number of people that could be effectively managed by a single person to accomplish a task. Now, you'll grow as time goes on, but remember that family counts depending on your group format or design. So that really, how are you laid out if everybody's going to a compound or everybody's in a clustered neighborhood type of situation? Some of these people are going to be core members and some may be more silent followers, but all, you've got to remember, will require the same level of supplies and efforts for protection and feeding. So there'll be always that threat of a conflict in a group, but it'll be worse in a survival situation. Nothing ever gets better. But if the needs of the members are not highly considered, you're going to have more conflict. There's a number of daily needs that a group will have, but uh, if you can find the right people, it'll go a lot easier. Once you get started and then carefully add members as, as you build, you'll get bigger and you'll be able to, that way you'll be able to stay above room temperature. And the people that are really there going to help you do that, you're going to have somebody that helps you in the eight main areas of survival. And those eight main areas are going to be food, water, shelter, safety, security, energy, communication, and transportation. In order to get to get started off on the right foot, you really want to look for somebody who's good in me- medical uh, experience. You want mechanically inclined people. You want people that are, are uh, perhaps past military uh, that have hunting experience because that's going to give you your security and it's going to help you with your food pro- uh, uh, procurement. And you also want somebody that's going to help you with your food production. That's going to be your gardeners, your livestock handlers, and people like that if you get to that kind of a situation. And you really want that scavenger type of person, somebody who can find anything that's going to fit into the gathering role in the group. So if you've got that core membership, you're you're off to a great start if you have that choice. But remember, all of those people are going to want to cross-train together so that they're not too valuable to the group and kind of hold the group hostage later on or cause more conflict that way. That that sounds like a really good like starting plan as well, and, that, and because that does seem to cover you can you can cross train and you can you can add in a bunch of those skills and kind of combine them to be able to fulfill your needs. So let's let's start with those and let's really dig into them. So so Charlie, I, I get that having somebody medically trained on your team is kind of like a no brainer, but. You know, when I think about this role, I also it also seems to be one of the more challenging people to recruit because one in in a disaster. Emergency personnel are going to be overwhelmed. I mean, I can imagine there's going to be lots of trauma. There's going to be lots of, there's going to be a big demand for medical personnel. And so they're going to be stretched out all over the place. And I guess if you have somebody in your network, that person gets called out as well. The other thing is that I don't think a lot of people really like know doctors outside of going for their annual physical. You know, it might be hard to find somebody to recruit into your network because maybe you don't hang out with doctors as much anymore or something like that. So, and the thing, the other thing is, I think that a lot of survivalists, they think that just because if they have a first aid kit and they basically know basic first aid and they got their, their Boy Scout award that they're all taken care of. Like it's just, it's more like in that supplies mindset rather than the skill. So, 
to be more specific, what are some of the skills that this person, this medically trained person would provide to the, the mutual assistance group that people may not realize? And, and where is the best place to find and approach someone who would fill this role? Well, you're right. It's, it is hard to find somebody with good quality medical skills in our everyday lives unless we're within those circles. But there's also, you'd be surprised, there's a lot of people that have some pretty good medical skills, and it may be somebody that you already know. But medical trained people are often more difficult to find for sure, but you got to think outside the box. Think about EMTs, veterinarians, pharmacists, nurses. I mean, we all know a nurse somewhere, right? We should all know some medical skills on our own beyond just basic first aid because anybody can apply just a bandage. But what about a serious infection or a trauma, injury? Uh, think about stuff like that because that can happen just working outside. So you don't need to get into a gunfight to realize that you need a surgeon. So if you already have someone who has these skills, get them to cross-train everybody else. That's really going to help the overall efficacy of the group. Otherwise, collect some books and get started as much as possible, like the Survival Medicine Handbook by uh, Bones and Amy. Uh, go take some classes. By training together, if you get other people within just your family or your group to train together in learning some things, you're going to improve your group dynamics, and you're going to see how other people operate out of their comfort zone. And that's really important to know before you get stuck into a bad situation. You don't want somebody that's going to clam up or, or, or panic. So if they, if they already know some of these skills... That's going, to, that's going to go a long way for you. The medical aspect is so much bigger than most people even realize. The survival medics duties are going to include things like sanitation, general health and welfare, illness, monitoring, uh, emergency care, disease prevention, quarantine operations, pregnancy and sickness. And what about the things like radiologicals and chemicals and, and even your animals that you've got to care for? You know, and then you've got skin conditions, uh, blisters, infections. You cannot underestimate the situation, and you definitely don't want to overestimate your skills. That'll put you in a really bad position. Yeah, it sounds, I mean, even just you bringing up things like um, taking care of livestock and things like that. I mean, veterinarians, we've seen, I've seen enough mob movies to know that a lot of times when the gangsters get shot, they're headed off to the, the local veterinarian to take the bullet out and stuff like that. And that's something I'd also thought of as like a potential avenue as well. But also, I mean, I never thought, I mean, a lot of people do know nurses that don't necessarily know doctors. That was a really, that's a really good idea as well. Yep. You know, Charlie, um, one of the ones you brought up was mechanical. One of the, one of the people, and, and I'm probably the least mechanical person on the planet. And I'm probably like a lot of people though, like, like I drive a vehicle that hasn't had any mechanical problems at all in like five years. I mean, we're, we're building vehicles that are much more reliable now. So this might not be one of those things that, that a lot of people think of as a need. I think we always just kind of assume that, you know, our, our vehicle is going to, are going to take us where we need it to go. Can you explain why having somebody on your survival team who's mechanically inclined could provide a benefit that we're not aware of? And what sort of person should we be looking for to prepare for a collapse in this area? A lot of people want to remember that it's not just about transportation. This is not just about your car breaking down. In a survival situation, you're on your own, essentially, for everything. You're, you're moving your water, handling your sanitation, building your structure, whatever you're using to generate your power. Everything that's mechanical needs someone to maintain that or man it or build it. The mechanically inclined person, or we're going to call him the tinkerer, will save your bacon so many times over. This is the person who can see a need and dream up a solution with whatever is available. Just because you drive a new car today that never breaks down doesn't mean tomorrow you'll be as lucky. 
What about your shelter and your energy energy production, your water system for your plants and animals? I mean, somebody's going to have to create that and adapt to a new no-power situation possibly. Uh, how about creating early warning devices for your property just to let you know that someone's sneaking around? I mean, you absolutely need a tinkerer. This is the person who's usually going to be a blue-collar person who has a talent to create just about anything given the opportunity. He or she is going to be the person that just enjoys the challenge of figuring things out. But make sure you stay out of the way once they get started because, you know, when the sparks fly, things start happening. <laughs> that makes that makes total sense. I, I'm, tra- I'm going through my little my little black book now trying to think of who are the people that I like when I'm when I've got stuff going wrong in my house, like who do I reach out to. So that makes sense. OK, we're talking with Charlie Hogwood of ReadyGoPrep.com about how to build your survival team and who should be on that team how to find them, how to get them, what you should be looking for. And we've got a lot more coming up. In fact, we're going to talk about how do you take care of those survival food needs for yourself and the community, as well as how to protect yourself, your family, and the rest of your survival team from the violence that can happen from disasters. But first, check out this message. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos, or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can. If you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back with Charlie Hogwood of ReadyGoPrep.com talking about how you can build out your survival team. Now, Charlie, we're all aware that a collapse has the strong potential to be a very violent event. And we've seen the looting and the destruction that can happen, not just in urban areas in a collapse, but even in more remote areas. I mean, Anywhere, you, anytime there's any sort of a crisis, desperate people can do desperate things. So in a world where only the strong can survive, it makes total sense that you should have someone on your team with military experience, and that would be a huge benefit. But what specific roles could they be assigned within the team that would offer more than just a strong presence? And how can someone go about finding this person, military experience or not? Well, these days we're fortunate to have military people you know, everywhere in our society. So it's probably easier to find them. But what you got to watch out for is making sure you find the right one. So going back to really why we're doing this, you have to understand that without security, you do not own your stuff. You're just going to hang on to it until someone else comes along that wants it more. If you can't protect it, you don't own it. Military people are really good at protecting things, but not all those in uniform have that skill. 
So I want to put out a caution to everyone is to keep in mind that us military guys, and I'm one too, so I apologize to any of my brethren, uh, and military guys and gals see the world different and have a different way of thinking. So be careful who you invite until you know them personally. You want to make sure that you can work with them. Your security people should have or at least be open to learning a skill that uh, to survive without what's called reachback capability. You, they got to understand that just because they were able to uh, be sent somewhere to, to perform a mission, they were usually, air quotes, that given a place to go for rest and uh, refit. There's no logistics package coming in a survival situation. Mm. So that security person should be cross-trained in several other uh, areas just as well, such as mechanical or cooking or food production or even communications. That way they're a rounded-out kind of person that's going to help out. Because it could be a long time before combat combat breaks out. So be useful in other areas. Or you're just not as attractive to my group other than just another mouth to feed sometimes. We're all bullet chuckers in a survival situation. And security people also make great hunters. So keep in mind that people that are familiar with weapons and are able to move about nature and, and seek out you know, food are also people who are going to be very in touch with your area. And they're going to understand when you've got people moving through that area and how to and where to to direct them to uh, for your best advantage. Yeah, in in my area, see, I live in a pretty rural area, so you know it's it's probably easy, even easier. I mean, a lot of people hunt out here. You know, we've got feral hogs, we've got deer. It's like a petting zoo out near my house. There's just deer everywhere, so it's easy to find hunters. And 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 you're right. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be military, but anybody that's in that really knows weapons well can help with food production as well as defense. I mean, because, you know, part of it's just familiarity, you know, just being around weapons and just being able to have that mindset. And even like for armory purposes, you know, if everybody, like you said, if everybody's bullet chuckers, then, you know, you would want as many weapons as possible for the group to be able to, to network together. And having somebody that, I guess, is experienced with maybe reloading and things like that as well, the people that, that have that hunter mindset and, and that, that I won't call it a hobby or a sport, but that's really kind of a lifestyle that you, there's some, there's some good skill sets out there. Nope. Charlie, one of the people that, that you brought up as, as adding to the network is, well, it's, it's with the survival food for like a long-term crisis. And most people are like stocking up and they're hoarding food. So they've got it all available. But canned beans are only going to get you so far. Eventually, they run out or you just get tired of eating beans all the time. So you've got to have more of, of a long-term food production plan. So that being said, not everyone has a green thumb when it comes to um, you know agriculture and things like that. So what specific agricultural and I guess food processing skills should our survival group look for in an individual and what are some possible places where we could find him or her? Well, Jeff, we created something here at prep that's called the, the telescopic. It's a, it's a tiered food storage strategy essentially, which is telescopic. And one of those arms is yes, you can food your long-term survival food and stuff like that. But that is, that ends pretty quickly because you can only store so much. And what happens if you're mobile and you had to move to another location, you can't carry it all. So what you've got to realize is that canned food is great and lasts longer than most people really think, but it is not going to last forever. So it's imperative that we find a way to produce food on our own. 
most people seem to think they can store some seeds and boom, they're farmers. And that's pretty much as far from the truth as possible. Yeah. Any gardener will tell you that. But there's also a steep learning curve to food production, whether it's animal or plant-based. So you should look for people in your area, like go to your local extension office and look around or look around your community for people who understand gardening in your area, in your uh, growing zone. Uh, go to the green markets, look for online gardening clubs and see if you can get in with those people. Go to community gardens and just start meeting people. Um, those are the people who, who already made the mistakes, who've already gone over that learning curve usually, and now they've got a better idea on how to get started. Uh, the people you find might not be preppers or survival-minded, but they do have critical skills. And those skills in your area are going to be understanding your local soils, the weather, the growing seasons in that area. So when you find somebody, just strike up a conversation and be friends with them. Be careful not to go too far into the survival chat if they're new to the idea because you'll scare them off. It's very easy to scare people off once you start talking about, you know, collapse of civilization. So start off with something a little less, you know, <laughs> assaulting. But if they're open to working together in some way or teaching each other how to garden, then that's a good person to know. But don't forget to also consider other alternatives like aeroponics and aquaponics, too, because those are very valuable growing um, systems. And as far as proteins for your nutrition needs, you can begin by storing dry beans of just about any kind of Mylar packaging. And that's a great idea because it can last a long time. But it's a good idea to also learn about raising rabbits and chickens. Uh, because if possible, make friends with someone in your area who does things like raises uh, goats, cattle, pigs, other farm animals, or rabbits. Uh, all those little skills, they're, they're, they're fun, they're easy, they're a good hobby for the whole family. And you'll meet those people that you want to involve in your group along the way. You know, I, I hadn't thought about that as well. I mean, um, you know, the the local farmers markets have really sprung up as like a real movement now. They're getting a lot of exposure. And when you think about it, what they are are local small farmers. Like they're not necessarily putting their goods into the grocery stores. They're not a mass production chain. And a lot of these people started these farms to be self-reliant. And then they have extra stuff and they bring it to farmers market and they can earn a little bit of a living at the same time. And we've got we've got that like in spades around our area. So those seem like they really would be good people to to look at because they they have, you know, production already started. That's a really good idea. And food is essentially a currency. So if they have mm. food to trade or share and you've got some other skill or product that you can trade and share, well, look at the network you're building right there. Yeah. Yeah, right. You know, Charlie, when we look back on our, our ancient ancestors, we have the hunters and then we have the gatherers. And that's what one of the one of the, the roles that you talk about adding to the mutual assistance group. But we what happens is we often I think we often dismiss the gather and the importance that they bring to the the group as opposed to like the alpha hunter. We always think in terms of like that alpha the alpha male with gun in hand. And so I want to I, I want to dig deeper into this gatherer role that you're talking about in the collapse. Can you explain what the modern survivalist gatherer role could potentially be to a survival team and what specific traits should you look for when choosing that person? Well, you know, you say that there's an old saying that if you are a hunter and a gatherer, you are always a hunter and a gatherer. That's because you spend all of your time searching for food. A surplus of food is going to free you up to do other things and improve your situation. That being said, in modern survival, the gatherer has very valuable roles because they do everything from locating and collecting foods to securing other vital survival supplies. The modern gatherer knows 
what the situation is and moves about seeking anything helpful and also specific items that are requested by the group or the key man, the tinkerer. Um, so think of the gatherer as your personal shopper. He should be someone with the skills ranging from a solid knowledge of, of wild edibles to something resembling a cat burglar, <laughs> uh, somebody like an army scout. That was what I was when I was in, in natural-born scavengers who can just, you know, figure out you know, what we need. But those, uh, those, are, those people are amazing at scrounging up and reappropriating things. And, you know, who else uh, that is going to be in the group that will be real helpful at that are teenagers. Teenagers can, can slip around, and, and once they understand what their mission is, you can send them out. They'll enthusiastically go out and collect things. Yeah, they're just naturally sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> I know it from experience. I've had two teenagers and one more coming on the way. <laughs> yeah, you might as well harness that uh, that energy and give them something to go do. Yeah, yeah. Well, my son, my son actually, my youngest son now really does love to go out searching for stuff. And we've got land, and he loves to go out just looking for stuff. And so, you know, one of the things that I'm I'm teaching him slowly also is like navigation. I mean, whether you're in familiar surroundings or you're in an area like you're bugging out to a, another area, just having a sense of how to be able to navigate terrain as well as even urban areas um, is going to help you maybe, you know, find the places that you can you can best pick up the things that you're looking for as well as make it back. So um, so those that seems to be a, a really good thing. So, yeah. So recruit those teenagers. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Charlie, um, really great information. I mean, this this gives people a really sound foundation to be able to go out there and start to develop your group. And everybody, listen, go through, I mean, hopefully as you've been listening to, to Charlie's tips, you've you've heard maybe somebody was coming to your mind, like somebody just popped in your mind like, oh, that's that person. I know that I know a person that fits that description. Those are the people to start thinking about now. So hopefully this this talk has really kind of moved you out of the lone wolf mode and got you thinking about who you can actually add to your network. Um, but there's a lot more to it than just knowing who the right people are. And um, I've read Charlie's book, and it is the best book out there anywhere on putting together your own survival network because it, it talks a lot about not just like who you're looking for and where to find them, but also how to train them, how to manage the community, how to avoid conflicts. I mean, there's, there's so much more involved than I ever thought there was. And this is probably, I, I, I got to say, it's, it's got to be the best handbook out there that would really give you the step by step. So definitely go check it out. Uh, Charlie, thanks so much, really, for um, for sharing your time with us today. Well, Jeff, I'm happy to be here, and I'm always available for questions, and, and I'll answer whatever I can. Everybody's survival situation is a little bit different, and, you know, we'll we'll all get through this together as long as we understand that we just got to build some relationships, and we've just got to gotta find a way to survive, and we will. We will. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right, everybody, listen, go check out uh, Charlie's website and find out more information about his book and about this topic and as well as other survival tips that are over there. All you need to do is go to www.readygoprep.com. And until our next Modern Combat and Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now. This 
has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.